Hi, I'm Jamie Prentice. I talked to Alice Albright, the Chief Executive of the Global Partnership for Education, for a series on access to education from the National. The GPE is calling on the international community to not take children's education for granted. Alice also spoke about the impact that the pandemic has had on education. Well, if you look at the numbers, I think there's sort of a short-term piece to it and a longer-term piece to it. The short-term piece to it, think about the numbers. So before the pandemic, there were 260 million children in the world that were not in school. At the height of the pandemic, 1.6 billion. So there were multiples of the number of children that had not been in school that were very quickly put out of school. Now, the 1.6 billion has come down uh, a little bit, so that's good. That's one way of measuring it. Uh, there are other ways of measuring it. One is the number of children who will never likely go back to school. And uh, the numbers that are being estimated around that are around 20 million. And that should be a terribly troubling number uh, to everybody. You know, we can't live in a world where 20 million children are never going to go back to school. Uh, and, and one should ask, why are they never going to go back to school? Uh, either they are girls that have gotten pregnant as a result of uh, and we know this to be the case, uh, that teenage pregnancy goes up in the middle of a pandemic, domestic violence goes up, uh, poverty goes up, and those uh, factors come together uh, and create even higher barriers uh, to girls not going uh, to school. Uh, we know that teenage marriage, early childhood marriage is going to go up, for example. Um, so that is uh, potentially a lasting impact of the pandemic, which should trouble uh, all of us. Uh, we're very worried about the economic consequences. Um, uh, in many ways, uh, some of the education challenges in the world are a function of poverty. And uh, we don't know what the shape of the recovery is going to be. And I think it's going to be different shapes in different places. But given the potentially long-lasting uh, economic consequences, that is going to make it much harder for governments and donor governments to have the money necessary to invest in education. So that's something that we worry about. There's going to be short-term impacts. You know, hopefully the schools get open. Hopefully the vaccine gets out there. But there's going to be longer term. Uh, another one is how many kids who live in refugee camps are able to go back to school. Another one is how many kids who have suffered sort of trauma as a result of this. How are they doing? So I think it's going to take us a while to get our arms around the full extent uh, of the challenge here. And well, yeah, I mean, at this juncture that we find ourselves in, what are the, the most fundamental and basic steps that we can take moving forward to improve the situation? I think first we have to realize how, uh, from sort of a policy and implementation perspective, how vulnerable education is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a public service that is easy to take for granted. And when one can say, oh, everyone just goes to school. Uh, well, it's not true. Uh, and we've now learned that lesson uh, the hard way. The second step is to then say, okay, how do you plan and begin to anticipate crisis events like this uh, in order to be able to get ahead of them and make school systems more resilient? This is about planning, about financing, about thinking about uh, appropriate ways of distance learning and technology, but still very much with teachers at the center, such that when the next pandemic comes along, and it will, uh, or the next war or the next uh, hurricane, 
that school is able to be continued during these crises. And I think that that's a real, a, a very important learning coming out of all of this. It gets back to the don't take it for granted uh, point. Uh, a third thing I'll talk about is financing. We need to look at how education is financed and ask ourselves, are we prioritizing it well enough? I'd say the answer is no, we're not. Um, and this is, it's not just another public service uh, of which there are many. Uh, education is an investment in our future. Uh, it's an investment in hope. It's an investment in future talent. It's an investment in how to enable uh, the children of the world today to be ready for the 21st century or the remainder of the 21st century. So it's not just any public service. is in some ways the most vital uh, public service. So we have to figure out how do we pay for it on a basis that is sustainable, continuable, if that's a word, and is not subject to disruption. And so we, because we just lived through, you know, probably we're still in the middle of it, you know, the worst disruption to education that we're ever going to experience in our lifetime. So it's about thinking about it in a different way. This is the most vital public service that there is. And we have to figure out how to finance it and implement it and deliver it accordingly. In that respect, how important is digital training and, and digital skills in upskilling? Well, let's divide those into two buckets. There's the training and then there's the upskilling, okay? In terms of training, uh, if you look at teachers and school administrations and uh, everyone involved in the sort of delivery process, there is a real hunger from the countries to have digital tools to help teachers and administrators do a better job, to get ahead of the sort of paper-based environment that they're in now. And ministers tell us that. So there's an appetite to want to use technology appropriately for helping. And that's something I think we need to help out with. Um, there's a lot of conversation uh, going on right now about connectivity, which I guess is related to digital. And there's all kinds of statistics that show that connectivity is is got an enormous way to go in terms of being available. Some people are calling for connectivity to be a, a global public free good so that it can you know, all of a sudden, what we have grown to take for granted in the developed world is something that also is readily available in the developing world. So there is a digital agenda, but it's an agenda that has to realize that teachers are at the center of it as opposed to at the side of it. The second part of your question was about skills. And there is a call particularly from the developing country ministers, and we work with many of them very, very closely, to really want to look at curriculum or curricula, I should say, and ask whether or not um, it is including a set of technical and competency and skills that is fit for the 21st century. And so what do I mean there? I think people are beginning to sort of ask the question, are the basics enough? You know, reading, writing, math, and I think people are answering that question by saying, on the one hand, we absolutely need the basics. You're not going to progress very far if you can't read and do basic math. But it's also not enough because people need digital literacy. They need problem solving. They need critical thinking. They need to know how to work in teams and those other types of skills that would enable somebody entrepreneurship to thrive in the 21st century. So there is a lot of conversation going on about reshaping curricula uh, given the new environment that we're in. But that predated the pandemic. I think, if anything, the pandemic sort of 
has now accelerated that because people realize there's a terrible digital divide that is going to emerge, which is either you, it's not just about, you know, there's sort of the connectivity, networking, Wi-Fi, and device part of the digital divide. But then there's also the, do you have the skills to deal with it? And I think what the pandemic has shown us is that not only do you need the kind of the hardware part of it and the device part of it, but you have to have the skill part of it. And that, I think that the pandemic has hastened that. Do you think the way that we educate has been changed forever because of COVID-19 and the pandemic? Forever, forever is a long and long and hard word to kind of size up the corners of. Uh, and I'm somebody who likes numbers. And so words like that are like, okay, what do you mean? Um, but I think that what the pandemic has done has introduced technology into the equation, both with positives and with negatives. To the positive side, it has shown people that there are ways of dealing with the reach issues of education where the infrastructure system allows. So one of the things that we've seen in our work, this is part of our uh, $500 million uh, COVID response, is that countries that have connectivity are looking to sort of enhance those partnerships uh, with the private sector to hasten the availability of connectivity. So it has opened that door. But I also think that there's, and, and anybody who has children in their house that are struggling, it has reminded people that some of the tried and true traditions and basics of education, having a trained teacher, focusing on some of the basic skills, that those things can't be replaced. And so in our work, we, well, we're very country driven. Uh, you know, the countries come to us with their priorities and what they think is important. We're very much about evidence around that. You know, we start at the beginning around early childhood education. But one thing we do not do is have the outside world go to a country and say, you must, you must, you must, because that doesn't work. And so countries really establish uh, what their own priorities are and they're finding their own level between knowing what some of the things are that have to be sort of tried and true, but also knowing some of the new tools that might be considered to be available. Thanks for listening to Recorded. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on the nationalnews.com.